I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. I'm happy to welcome you and join to have you join me here today, this week. Uh, let me give you a, a warning that I'm a little sick. I woke up yesterday with a, a cold or a, the beginnings of the flu or something. But anyway, I'm pretty run down and not feeling fantastic. Topics today. We're going to continue our conversation from last week about folks who aren't willing to allow us our own opinions. We're going to talk about it's not my fault. I'm going to tell you a story about that and uh, we'll draw some insights out of that, that story. We'll talk about does being a good person get you used? I promised last week I'd tell you a story about Jason, uh, Jordan, my, my buddy Jordan's brother. And a, a thing that happened back in, oh, I reckon it was 99 or around the year 2000, somewhere around there. So I'll tell you that story. Finally, several times, either on this show or by means of Orange Slices, which are those brief video insights that I offer on YouTube, Rumble, and on our locals group, I've had the conversations with you about when a lie is not a lie. And... Uh, that seems to be a hard one for people. A lot of people rebel against the the explanation that I provide. The explanation I provide being that a lie is not a lie whenever you're speaking an untruth to somebody who is not entitled to the truth. Uh, in fact, so I just had an orange slice this, this past week, and uh, the only comment I got on that was somebody, you're wrong, you're wrong, nope. That's a lie. You're still lying. So there's two types of people that I can think of who rebel against the idea that you can tell an untruth and it not be a lie when you're speaking to somebody who is not entitled to the truth. The first person would be somebody like somebody who's very religious and who th looks upon every untruth as being a lie. Uh, other people, you know, like who have very strong moral convictions, I can see how uh, they would get hung up on that. Uh, but then there's the second type of person. And do you know who the second type of person is? Second type of person is the one who doesn't like the idea that there is information that they're not entitled to. Which one are you? Which one, if you rebel against the idea that speaking an untruth is not the same as lying which category do you fall into anyway we're going to talk about that now before 
we get much further along i do want to say that that conversation is going to involve some bible talk so i'm going to save it for the very end as i like to do for those of you who are not religious don't like to talk about religion don't like to talk about the bible don't like any of that stuff i'll save that conversation for the very end but i would like to ask you this before we ever get there who is the ultimate authority on whether or not a lie is a lie is it you are you the ultimate authority on that is it me is it uh, some government out there are they the ultimate authority on whether a lie is a lie the answer is no if you believe in God then God is the ultimate authority on what is a lie and what is not a lie and so you might be surprised to know that my explanation for when a lie is not a lie is biblical Uh, it reflects God's own perspective on the matter so anyway again we'll save that conversation for the end if you don't like Bible talk and all that don't worry Uh, we're going to push it back for a while talk about some other things and then we'll get to that conversation toward the end announcements thelastsymptom.com be sure to check out the free resources section of the site and take advantage of some of those resources okay so I had my big door open and it's real windy outside and I think that that was interfering with some of the sound so I've shut the door we'll see if that improves things for you boy I hope I don't get to the end of this recording and turn around listen to it and find out that none of it's usable all right so last week we were talking about how um, having conversations with folks who are not in agreement with our opinions who don't seem to be able to view non-subjective things non-subjectively and subjective things subjectively and we talked about how i used the notes app on my phone to flush out things i'm feeling thinking uh, gives me an outlet to express myself to a willing audience that audience being myself of course now this part of the conversation with it i want to address this idea that the injustice or the the inappropriateness or the unfairness of having a conversation with somebody who you perceive has not used their critical thought or is not using their critical thought to arrive at conclusions or when discussing differences of opinion with you here's what can happen you can think to yourself I personally and very interested in arriving at my opinions based on the recognition of certain non-subjective truths. I expect that of myself. And when you look out at people on the other side of the argument, maybe you perceive that they're not doing that, that they're not interested in that. They're not interested in being emotionally and intellectually honest enough to consider some things uh, that they don't that don't appeal to them that they're emotionally turned off from and things of that nature so the guide for me in those circumstances is always the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority you remember what that is that's the concept of uh, we're all walking around in a bubble or with a, a circle around our feet and within that circle is where all of our individual inherent rights responsibility and authority exist 
outside of that circle in the sand or outside of that bubble, we have none. The only exception to that is if we have children, underage children, dependent children. So using that as my guide, when I get into a conversation with somebody or I see people showing no interest whatsoever in intellectual or emotional honesty, you know, that, that's one that bothers me. In fact, if I perceive that I'm in a conversation with somebody who's not, intellect, who's not being intellectually or emotionally honest, I don't continue that conversation. I don't continue conversations like that because there's no, it's, you know, thinking about a cost benefit analysis, there's no, the cost is high. The cost is your time, your inner peace, your energy, and the benefits are what? Nothing. Because if I'm having a conversation with somebody who is asserting that the sky is purple and I'm looking at the sky and it's blue, where do you think you're going to get at with a person operating on such an emotionally dishonest and intellectually dishonest premise or platform? You're not going to get anywhere. You say, well, if I reason with them masterfully enough, no. No, because we're not talking about somebody using reason. The person is not presenting an argument based on reason. The person is uh, presenting an argument based on emotion. Think about all the times I've told you that emotions do not determine reality. In real life, how we feel about a thing has no bearing whatsoever on how a thing just is or isn't. But when you get into a conversation with people who determine their realities based on their feelings, how are you going to reason with somebody? How are you going to reason somebody out of that? It's like recovery. You know, a person, recovery only works when a person himself or herself is ready. When they, when internally they are, they are ready for themselves to do it for themselves. But before that, all the information that you present to them and lay at their feet will do no good. They're not going to make use of it, you see, because the value, the real value of information is not reading the information. The real value of information is somebody internalizing it, chewing it over, uh, considering it. And you, you can't make a person do that. <laughs> you cannot make a person do the part that is most important, that matters. And so that goes back to this conversation with people who are uh, not emotionally or intellectually honest. So I won't even have a, con- I won't continue, let's say, a conversation with somebody who I perceive is not being intellectually or emotionally honest. Is that frustrating for me sometimes? Sure it is. You get into the conversation, you you have a, a, a fantastic argument, your your reasoning is completely sound, and you, and you recognize that the person, no matter how sound your reasoning is, is not open to hearing. If they're not open to hearing, that's your opportunity to save yourself a lot of frustration, wasted time, wasted energy, wasted emotion, and just stop the conversation. Go have a conversation with somebody else who's more receptive. The law of individual inherent rights and responsibility and authority, when I consider it, causes me to ask questions like this. Perceiving the person 
who is not being intellectually or emotionally honest, I say, is that person allowed to be emotionally and intellectually dishonest? And the answer is yes. They're allowed to do whatever they want. Do I have any rights over how they are choosing to be emotionally or intellectually dishonest? Nope, don't have no rights over them. Do I have any responsibilities over them doing that? In other words, is it my responsibility to help them see the way uh, into emotional and intellectual honesty and escape emotional and intellectual dishonesty? Nope, not my responsibility. Uh, who do I have a responsibility over to make sure he's doing that? Uh, me. Do you see how the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority makes allowances and keeps my focus where it needs to be? Let's go ahead and throw authority in there, too. Do I have any authority over that person? No, I don't. So I can say, you know, it's just not right. Being emotionally dishonest, being intellectually dishonest, is not right. People shouldn't do it. And I'm right. People shouldn't do that. It's not the right way to live. It's not the right way to uh, converse with other people in an in emotionally and intellectually dishonest way. But do I have any rights, responsibility, and authority over that person to make them or cause them or um, judge their choices in life? No. Not even when they're not healthy or um, they're not fair. I still don't have any rights over that person to say, you know what, you should be emotionally honest or intellectually honest. You see, emotional health involves acknowledging, recognizing what other people are doing unhealthy or in unhealthy ways or doing wrong, and then to turn that observation inward to use it for our self-benefit, not for changing other people or policing other people. Do people have a right to arrive at their opinions any way they do, whether it's emotionally honest or dishonest? Yes, they do. I have that right. That's not a rational way that I see to arrive at my opinions, but if other people choose to do it that way do they have a right to do it that way yes they do do I accept their right to do it that way yes I do can I make people do things the quote unquote right way no I can't do I have a right to concern myself with the way other people are doing things no, not unless it affects me personally or my children personally. Then I have some certain legal options that I can take. I have other decisions that I can make for myself, such as moving somewhere else, not engaging with those sorts of people, choosing different people to spend my time with and those sorts of things. But in, in their personal lives, they have a right to those things exclusively. It's not always easy, especially, 
especially when we perceive something as unjust. One thing that I would consider unjust is people arriving at conclusions based on their emotions. So I think we've talked about that a little bit in the past. The majority of the world arrives at a conclusion based on their emotions. So to give you an example of this, they see somebody, they dislike the person. That bad feeling, the person rubs them the wrong way. They dislike the person. So it is the feelings then that cause them to construct the reasons for why they don't like the person. Some people uh, talk about this as like reverse engineering the argument for why. But you see what's happened. Uh, Surely you've met people before where you, uh, I don't know what it is about this person. I just don't like them. Then your brain, your emotions, construct all the reasons why your feelings are not wrong for disliking that person. It looks, this is where confirmation bias comes in. You look for all the things that prove that this person is unlikable and why why you're right for not liking them. And your attention focuses on and overemphasizes these things that seem to support your dislike for the person and they minimize the things that would uh, cause you to, well, would cause any emotionally and intellectually honest person to reevaluate their conclusion. You know, for example, you find out that the person has done a lot of good in the community, um, is a real nice family man and all these things, you would discredit that or you would minimize it or you would overlook it entirely in favor of all these other things that support your dislike in the person. So that is very unjust. I consider it very unjust. Um, <clears throat> and that's when it's the hardest for me because uh, when we perceive something as being unjust, we say that that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. It should be this other way. But that's when we have to remind ourselves that we don't live in a life, in real life, in the real world, we don't live in a world that is determined by shoulds and should nots. No matter how you feel about that, that's the truth. And no matter what should be or shouldn't be, it's completely irrelevant to what is. That goes into a conversation about acceptance and denial, doesn't it? Acceptance in this, these cases goes a long way. Accepting that the true nature of the world and life is what it really is, whether we like it or not. It's not subject to our concepts of should and should not. Should and should not has no bearing on what is or is not, you see? So we look at a person who is completely unwilling to have an emotionally and intellectually honest conversation on a particular subject. Should they be doing that? No, they shouldn't be doing that. But are they doing that? Yes. Do Do they have a right to do things that way? Yes, they do. The same as you do. Whether you identify that as something that's unhealthy and that you don't want to do is up to you but it's also up to them they can choose to not care at all whether 
the way that they arrive at opinions or the way that they approach conversations. To kind of illustrate this, think about seeing an old lady getting mugged on the street or in an alley and you not doing anything about it. This isn't what I'm talking about. When I say observing a thing and just accepting what is. An, un, an injustice, right? You are observing an, unjust, an unjust reality and accepting that that is the reality that we're all uh, dealing with in life. This is not the same as looking down an alley, seeing an old lady getting robbed and not doing anything. That's not what I'm talking about. Rather, think about this. The idea that muggings of old ladies should not happen anywhere in the world. That's what we're talking about. Is the reality of the world that we live in, one, that where uh, old ladies do get mugged? The answer is yes. Can you accept that? Should the world be that way? Should the reality we live in be that way? It doesn't matter if it should be that way or not. That's not the that's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is is it the reality of the world that we live in or not? And the answer to that is yes. So now if you see some injustice happening to somebody helpless, you should step in and do what you can to right that wrong. But the reality, whether or not to reject the reality that we live in a world where old ladies get mugged or not, that's something you're just going to have to accept, that that is the reality, no matter how unjust it is. You know, denial is your feelings rebelling against a reality just because you, you don't like the way it feels. What good does that denial do you? doesn't do you any good. Do you know what it causes? It causes a lot of frustration. A lot of frustration, a loss of inner peace and contentment because you're stuck rebelling against the reality. Your emotions are stuck rebelling against the reality. What does acceptance do on the other hand? Acceptance allows for peace. You see? I see and accept the reality. I still don't like it, but my feelings are no longer rebelling against the reality of it. I can experience peace. That's just what it is. I don't like it. I wish it were different, but my emotions now are no longer rebelling against it and having me exist in some reality that it does not exist. Um, I guess I shouldn't use the word reality. It has me living in some false reality that doesn't exist it's better to see the reality accept it for what it is gotta take his sweater off a grown woman once said to me a couple years ago when she failed to live up to her business responsibilities to me and I'll tell you what those business responsibilities were so when I'm buying this house and uh, had a move-in date a month out, the day comes, uh, they send me a message saying that they are out of town. And I said, well, you need to be, get back. I expect you back before tomorrow, 
tomorrow's the date that that I've been planning to move in. You need to be back by tomorrow. Yeah, but this and that over that'd be so hard for us to get back and uh, this has happened and this has happened and I said I don't care. I don't care what reasons you can come up with. I want you to be back tomorrow. I expect you to be back tomorrow. I've been waiting very patiently to move into that house. You've had plenty of time to have everything in order for me to move into that house. So I expect you to be back. To paint an even fuller picture, they had had uh, four months, four months. So three months the house was for sale. They did not move. They didn't pack anything. They didn't prepare. They didn't get a moving truck. They didn't do anything for those three months that the house was for sale. Closed on the house. After closing, they had an entire month after that to pack their things, get things in order, start moving things out, and they didn't. Waited till the very, 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 very last minute, and then it was my time to move in they were out of town so I said uh, you know you, you will live up to your responsibilities to be out of that house tomorrow I don't care what it takes I will I will ensure that you folks are out of there your things will be on the sidewalk uh, if you don't get back by tomorrow and this grown woman who's about 10 years older than me said to me it's not fair it's not my fault I stood there with the phone in my hand in utter shock, my mouth hanging open. Literally, I, I could not believe that a woman in her like mid-50s had said that to me. It's not fair. It's not my fault. It's the sort of thing that children who have no concept of real life and responsibility say. I bring up that experience because there's only one reason a grown adult would say that's not fair and it's not my fault only one reason why an adult human being would say that that's not fair it's not my fault it's because they believe the world <clears throat> or life should operate a certain way and they refuse to accept that it is that it does not operate that way so in other words if something's not fair or if life gets difficult because that's not how it's quote unquote supposed to be rules and responsibilities cease being relevant can you see that <clears throat> if things are not fair then your responsibilities aren't what they are if it's not your fault your responsibilities stop being what they are and that is a really immature and false and unhealthy way of viewing reality. You know, again, it's like what that's the way children view reality. If I'm on a backpacking trip in the woods with my daughter and I get really tired, just her and I, we're on this trail, got 55 miles to go. We're hiking along and I get really tired and the trail is more difficult than I imagined it was going to be. I say, boy, this is really hard. This, this trail out here with my daughter, very hard. I didn't plan for any of this. Do my responsibilities 
to my daughter go away or lessen just because my circumstances are more difficult or unexpected than I imagined they would be? Of course not. Just because it's hard and there are surprises along the way does not mean that I'm not that I'm suddenly not responsible for my daughter's well-being and making sure that she gets safely home. But talking to this lady, that's exactly the attitude that she has. I didn't expect this. Things happened faster than I thought they were going to. I didn't know that the that time was going to move so fast. So it's not my fault that after four months we don't have everything together and organized and we're, and we're not moved out of the house. You see that? They had four months to get out of the house, to, to live up to their responsibilities, to have everything packed up and things taken care of far, far in advance of the move out date, by the way. Just because unexpected things might have occurred does not mean that their responsibilities to be out of the house aren't still their responsibility. That That's not still their responsibility to be out of the house. It doesn't matter how things played out for them. Their responsibility still is the same as it was if everything went perfectly smoothly. So the lady I'm telling you this story about is living in a false reality. In the true reality life and the world has absolutely no obligation whatsoever to be fair it's, the, the universe does not operate on a fairness system only children dependent tiny little children believe that live in that false reality where the world around them operates on a fairness system so life doesn't operate that way for anybody, let alone for this grown woman that I've told you the story about specifically. Our responsibilities don't stop being what they are just because things get tough or there are unexpected surprises. It's not my fault and life ain't fair is just another way of saying I accept no responsibility for my own failures. I accept no responsibility for my failure to have had things boxed up and ready to move out of this house months in advance. When, I, when we put the house up for sale and people started showing interest in it, four months ago, it was my responsibility to start packing things up, getting things ready, figuring out who, how I was going to move, where we were going to live, and all these things. Think about a guy who's always late to work. I'll never, when I first moved to Philly, uh, I ran a red light. I ran a red light my first week living in Philly and a cop was right behind me he pulls me over real nice guy but he says uh, hey wh what happened there why did you run that red light I said well the you see the semi truck in front of me the back the trailer that he was pulling had a domed top and because of that domed top I couldn't see the traffic light so it wasn't until I got right out into the middle of that cross section of traffic and that I could see the traffic light and, and I saw that it was red and I said, oh my gosh. 
He said, well, I appreciate your honesty. He said, uh, I'm still going to give you a ticket. <laughs> I thought I'd talked myself out of it because I had a what I thought was a perfectly reasonable explanation for why I ran that red light. It, you see, it wasn't my fault. It was the fault of the truck in front of me. It had that dumb top, I couldn't see the light. And he said to me, like I say, he said, I appreciate your honesty, he says, but uh, I'm still going to give you a ticket. He says, because it was your responsibility to maintain enough distance between you and that truck so that you wouldn't lose sight of the red light. And he was right, wasn't he? You see, I had a reason. I, I had a reasonable reason for why I couldn't see the light. But it did not free me of my responsibility. What was my responsibility? To make sure I could see the light. And if that meant maintaining further distance from that truck, that's what that meant. I failed in my responsibility. So it's the same way with a guy who's always late to work. It's not my fault. There was more traffic than I thought there'd be. My alarm clock didn't go off. The electricity went out last night. I got a flat tire. A responsible person accounts for these possibilities and avoids um, being late even if they do occur. That's what makes them a responsible person. So, guy, is he late to work? Uh, if he's late to work and there was more traffic than he thought that there'd be, if his alarm clock didn't go off, if he got a flat tire, if there was a car crash, is he still responsible for his tardiness? Yes. It's not the flat tire's fault, not the alarm clock's fault, not the electric company's fault. It's his fault for not being prepared for that possibility. Let's answer the question real quick. If being a good person gets you used, for those of you who are watching this video on Rumble or YouTube, uh, let me show you the meme that I was that I found. So it says, "Sorry to say this, but being a good person doesn't get you loved; it gets you used." What do you think about that? What attitude is at the root of a meme like that? Well, I'll tell you what attitude is at the root of, the, of a meme like that. It's the attitude that being good means being weak, naive, dumb, stupidly self-harmful in, in generosity and giving. The person who wrote this meme is equating goodness with being a naive sucker. A weak, naive sucker. Let's read the meme again. Sorry to say this, but being a good person doesn't get you loved. It gets you used. What are they, what are they equating good with? They're equating good with weakness, being dumb, being naive, being overly generous to one's own detriment. In other words, being a big old dumb sucker. So, in this formula, bad people then would be strong, smart, wise, advantageous, industrious, clever, and never generous to the point of self-detriment. So what's the real problem? The real problem is the person is using a concept of goodness inappropriately. Being good 
ain't the same as being weak, naive, dumb, stupidly generous to one's own detriment. It's not being a sucker. Um, so there's a big, a, a logical fallacy. That's what it is. Here are some of my qualities that I regularly apply to others and regularly apply here in my work with Last Symptom. Number one, I don't do more for others than they're doing for themselves. I never do it. So if you want my help, I am happy to help you. But you have to be doing more than I'm going to do. That's number one. Number two, I don't tolerate fake helplessness. Number three, I don't quote-unquote help people in ways that support their unhealth. Think about giving money to beggars on street corners. If you do that, if you're doing that, I understand it. I understand the, the feelings behind it. But you're hurting them more than helping them. And if you ask anybody, if you talk to anybody who dedicates themselves to this type of uh, social aid, they'll agree with me. That you're not helping them when you when you stop and give a a beggar money on the street corner, you're not helping them. You know why? There are so many resources available to them where they can get help. They don't want your money to find a hotel room for the night or to buy a hamburger, because the food is there, the lodging is there. They want your money to continue their destructive lifestyle. So if you really want to help what would you do? You would donate to the charities, right? If you're not donating to the charities, why would you be giving money to somebody on the street corner? You're only supporting, unhealthily supporting their unhealth. So just keep that in mind. No matter how you feel about it, no matter how your sympathies are, your, you know, your sympathy strings are, are plucked, uh, if you really want to help, leave that person standing there begging on the street corner, go to the nearest charity and donate to them. Then you will be supporting them in healthy ways. But anyway, I don't help people in ways that support things that are bad for them. So any, any destructive form of thinking, any destructive type of lifestyle, any destructive types of attitudes, any destructive types of behaviors, um, I don't support those no matter how good it might make me feel in the moment. In the long term, I'll feel terrible about myself because I'll say, oh, well, that wasn't very nice of me. I'm hurting that person more than helping them. Uh, number four, I'm not a slave to sentiment. In other words, I don't allow sentiment to override critical, honest thought, healthy laws and principles. So you take these four things that I've just said. Now, what would the person who wrote this meme that we were just talking about, what would their, be conclu their conclusion be of me? I must be a bad guy, right? I must be a really bad guy. Now, if you were describing the, the good person, good in the sense that they're thinking, what would that person be like? Weak, codependent, naive, let people walk all over them, support people in unhealthy ways, and then be shocked when the person isn't grateful for it. Giving at the expense of one's own well-being, right? whether that be time, attention, money, whatever, affection, 
given, 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 not taking care of yourself. In other words, you're you're neglecting yourself in other in order to provide that to somebody else. And the person who wrote this meme says that that's a good person. That's a good person. Well, whether you're doing it for good intentions or not, that's not a good person. That's a weak, naive, dumb, stupidly self-harmful, in generosity and given, suckers. So don't be fooled by memes like that. The person has no concept of what being a good person is. And uh, so, therefore, have no idea what they're talking about. <clears throat> Let me tell you a story about Jason. I was in uh, living up in Columbus, Ohio, at the time, and I w- my I was separated. My my first wife at the time, her name was Katrina, had uh, left me, so I was living alone in our house. It was a duplex, so it was a it was a full house, but she and I lived on one side of the house. And then there were other tenants that lived on the other side of the house. But she had left me. So I was living there all by myself. And uh, getting ready for work one morning. And this was during that time that uh, I believe Jordan, my buddy Jordan, was living there in Columbus with me too. He might have been in Toledo already by that time. I was upstairs taking a shower. All of a sudden I realized that the phone is ringing. The phone is ringing. Now that might be Katrina. It's probably Katrina, and uh, she might be wanting to come back home to me or something. Oh man, I gotta get the, I gotta answer that phone. This is pre cell phone. Well, the cell phones were coming out, but I didn't have one. Uh, I had a phone on the wall downstairs in the kitchen. So I come running out of the <laughs> the shower, throw the towel around my waist, come running down the stairs, which was all carpeted run around through the living room into the kitchen and all this was carpeted until I got to the kitchen when I got to the kitchen it was linoleum and my wet feet hit that linoleum and I'm telling you what I went zoo back my feet went right out from underneath me towel went flying and here I go sliding across the kitchen floor buck naked like a slippy slide I mean, sliding full speed ahead through that kitchen. Pow! Crash into the door on the other side. Got up. I was all beat up and bruised and buck naked there in my living room. Or not living room. In the kitchen. Got to my feet. Uh, oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really hurt. I think I, like, really banged my knee. Backside certain. Uh, but in pain. And I get up. Oh, get the towel back around me i answer what who is it answer the phone it's jordan on the other side what's going on are you all right he says oh man i just completely did a slip and slide through the kitchen i, I was taking a shower what, what's going on what why are you calling me he says listen uh, jason has been missing since oh it was like three days earlier four days earlier I said, you're kidding. Jason lived up there in Columbus, too. You're kidding. He said, yeah, we don't know where he's at. We're really really worried for him. Well, of course, your mind goes to all sorts of terrible things. Like, are they going to find him dead in a ditch? Has he been kidnapped? uh, What's what's going on? Couldn't figure it out. 
I tried to put his mind at ease. And I'm sure everything. I'm sure, you know, he maybe he run off with a girlfriend or something. And he's just enjoying his time with his girlfriend. I was thinking the worst. Jason would have been oh twenty, well probably thirty at that time. I get off the phone with Jordan after trying to put his mind at ease. I call up Dave. I said, uh, you know, what's going on? All Dave was worried, very worried, but doing everything they could and reaching out to all the different police departments and everything, trying to get his photograph out there. Well, that night, the night that Jordan called me, they got a hold of the local news organizations, and they had the local news organizations there in Columbus show his picture and say that he was missing and to reach out to this number or whatever. The next day, Jordan calls me. They found him. They found him. What had happened was he had had a psychotic break. Jason had had a, a psychotic break. What's that movie, A Beautiful Mind, all about paranoid schizophrenia? Well, Jason, nobody knew, had lived a large part of his life as a paranoid schizophrenic. And so he had this psychotic break, walked out the apartment. Here was the... Uh, the details I forgot to give you about when Jordan called me. When they got to his apartment, his apartment door was left open. His wallet and his keys and everything were left inside the house, untouched. And he had just walked out the door and disappeared. And they couldn't find him. That was what was so mysterious about it, and that was what had me so worried uh, when Jordan told the story, because I, I just could not figure that out. It seemed very curious. Jason had had this paranoid schizophrenia crisis and um, had walked out the door walking down one of the major highways and people were calling in about him walking alongside the highway so the police show up to try to question him and help him and he starts fighting them really going at him real violent and Jason's not a violent guy a very calm tender-hearted person really so they had to clobber him over the head with a baton to get him to to stop attacking them and then they got him into the car and they arrested him and everything but he had no identification on him so they had him in custody for all those days but they didn't know who he was and because he was having this paranoid schizophrenic attack uh when they got him into custody and tried to question him, like, you know, what's your name? What's your family's name? He wouldn't answer him and uh, didn't trust him. So they couldn't get a single thing out of him. So it wasn't until they ran his picture on the nightly news that one of the, the one of the arresting police officers was sitting at home in his living room watching the nightly news and saw Jason's picture and said, that's the guy that I, that I arrested just the other day. So they were able to call the family. Oh, what a relief that was. And get him, start getting him the help he needed. And uh, thinking back to that, once we found that out, now nobody knew that. None of us knew that he was dealing with that. But in retrospect, thinking back to just like sitting around with him watching movies or something, I mean, clearly he was hearing voices and stuff like that, seeing people and stuff like that, because we'd be sitting there watching a movie nobody saying anything and then he'd just turn to you and go what'd you say you'd be completely bewildered like well i didn't say anything oh okay and you just go back to watching the movie you know it's things like that that you you don't at the time you just shrug off and it's not till later that you when you have some context it all like 
some of those things all start falling into place and you start understanding them. So if I had more time, I would embellish the story a little bit with some more details, but we don't. Let's talk about, let's get into this biblical discussion I told you about. So for those of you who don't want to hear no Bible talk, now's your chance to move on to something else. And I want to thank you for being here this week and uh, participating in the show. Really enjoyed having you as a listener. And um, thank you for being here to, up to this point. For the rest of you who would like to understand why I talk about lying the way I do. And really, it comes down to this. You don't have to tell everybody everything. So there, there are no two extremes like that. Like, boy, I got to tell, uh, share everything with everybody, and if I don't, I'm lying. Or if somebody asks me a question and I tell them, I give them a wrong answer, I'm lying, even though it's none of their business, even though I'm under no obligation to provide that information, I don't want to lie, so I, I just give them that information anyway. And things of that nature, you know, if you want to find healthy balance in life, you have to come to an understanding on what is lying and what is not. And you have to understand that providing false information is not lying in all circumstances. It is in some. It's not in all. I start applying these healthy, this new healthy understanding of lie, what is lying and not in your life can be very beneficial it can be very helpful it can help you um, manage yourself your own life in a more healthy way do you remember who i said the two types of people are who seem to have a problem with this new this fresh and uh, more accurate understanding of lying as i try to explain to people the two types are people who are genuinely interested in morality uh, but take it to an extreme. And then the second type of person is the type of person who doesn't like the idea that there might be information they don't have a right to. You see, so that second type of person, what is their real motivation for rebelling against this explanation of what is lying and what is not? It's that they like taking, they like being able to take advantage of people who have an inappropriate or um, idea of these things or who are unhealthy you see they're they're buzzards is what they are they're buzzards they don't like the idea that if they ask you a question and they don't they're not entitled to that information they don't like the idea that you can say give them an answer that's not the, that's not uh, true the truth and still not be lying so really it's for their own self-gain that they rebel against uh, against this explanation. So who is the true authority on what constitutes lying and what does not constitute lying? It's not you or me. That would be the ultimate authority, wouldn't it? It would be God. Now what do we know about God and lying? Proverbs 6, 16, 17 says God hates a dishonest tongue. In other words, he hates lying. But this does not mean that a person's under obligation to divulge truthful information to people who are not entitled to it. So lying involves presenting a falsehood to a person who is entitled to know the truth and doing so with the intent to deceive or injure him or another person. That's lying. 
It's presenting a falsehood to a person who is entitled to know the truth. Now, because we know that God hates lying, would it not go to reason that in cases where people who he favored and approved of and viewed as righteous who appeared to lie were not actually lying? Because if they were actually lying, and God hates lying, well, then that would be reflected in his dealings with them, wouldn't it? First of all, Jesus Christ, he said, don't throw your pearls before swine. And so that's why he often did not give full or full information or direct answers to certain questions when doing so could have brought unnecessary harm. Abraham, you remember what he did? Abraham falsely presented Sarah as his sister rather than his wife when he was going into Egypt. So if you go to Genesis 12, 10 through 19, it says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he, that being Abraham, said to Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So when the Egyptians see you, they'll surely say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but keep you alive. Please say, you are my sister, so it may go well with me because of you, and my life will be spared. Was Sarai Abraham's sister? Um, actually, it's interesting, that conversation there, because uh, she, was, she was his wife, but I think if you look at the, uh, the lineage, she was actually like a, a half-sister or something like that to Abraham. So, there, you know, there's the uh, full context of that. But clearly, he, wanted, he did not want people to know that she was his wife. He said, don't tell them you're my wife. If they ask, say this instead. And uh, Abraham, of course, uh, was considered God's friend was uh, loved by God and had God's favor. Uh, Isaac did the same thing. You go to Genesis 26, 1 through 10. It says this, When the men of the place kept asking about his wife, he'd say, She's my sister. After some time had passed, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, was looking out the window, and he saw Isaac displaying affection for Rebekah, his wife. At once, Abimelech called Isaac and said, She's actually your wife. Why did you say, she's my sister? So there again, gave false information, was not lying. We'll talk about why he wasn't lying. Of course, we got the example of Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. Now here's what Joshua 10 verse 1 through 6 says about that. The king of Jericho, so this would be like the president of the United States or something, sending government officials to your house and asking you this. For some context, Rahab has just taken some spies, some Israelite spies, and she's hid them. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, bring out the men who came and are staying in your house, for they've come to spy out the entire land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they were from. 
and at dark when the city gate was about to be closed the men went out i i don't know where the men went but if you quickly chase after them you will catch up with them however she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among stalks of flax laid in rows on the roof so did rahab lie did she lie when she gave that false information what's well, interesting if you go f- later on in the bible james chapter 2 verse 25 it says this was not rahab the prostitute declared righteous by works after she received the messengers hospitably and sent them out by another way considered righteous declared righteous by god now remember god hates lying so in this case where rahab specifically used untruth in order to misdirect the people who were coming after the spies the israelite spies it's interesting isn't it that god didn't condemn her he didn't condemn her in fact he declared her righteous now you got the example of Elisha, the prophet Elisha said, uh, 2 Kings 6, 19, Elisha now said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me. Let me lead you to the man you're looking for. However, he led them to Samaria. So in other words, he says, I'll show you the way. I'll show you the city. And he did, and he took him, took him somewhere else. A lot of people say, well, he lied. A lot of people would say, oh, Rahab lied. A lot of people would say, Isaac and Abraham lied. Jesus lied by omission. In every one of these examples I've just given you, these people were considered righteous and had God's favor. How can that be if God despises lying, condemns lying, and does not tolerate or reward lying? In fact, the Bible says that it is impossible for God to lie. How? It can be so because in each instance, these people were not lying. They were instead giving false information to others who had no entitlement to the truth. In most cases, the information they were asking for, they were going to commit some uh, crime with. Uh, In other words, they wanted the information in order to carry out some um, devious or uh, bad intention you say well how were some of these people not entitled to the truth so for example in the case of Rahab it was the government authority saying where are these people you need to tell us surely they had the authority right it come right from the king so did were they not entitled to that information the answer is no because their authority does not supersede God's authority God was the ultimate authority he had a purpose they were working in harmony with that purpose and these people were interfering they did not have an entitlement to that information so Rahab gave false information but she did not lie because in order to have been lying to them they had to have been entitled to that information in the first place so we're back in World War II, and the Nazis show up to your door. You're hiding your Jewish neighbors down in your basement. And the Nazis say, by authority 
of the government. We demand that you tell us if you've seen any Jews in this neighborhood. And you say, why, no, I, I haven't seen any Jews. I, I sure wish I could help you, but I just can't. I haven't seen any. I'll tell you what. If I do see any, I promise I'll report them immediately. Okay, and the Nazis go away. Did you lie? No. You gave false information to those who were not entitled to the truth. <clears throat> they meant to commit moral crimes against humanity with that information. You say, well, yeah, a lady who commented on this orange slice the other day says, just don't say anything. It's, because if you say the false thing, then you're lying. Lady, you're not getting it. You are not getting it. Take your, put yourself in the position of the, uh, the person hiding these Jewish friends of yours in your basement. You going to tell me you're just going to stand there in front of the Nazis and not say anything? Uh, sir, I'd rather not comment on that. <clears throat> Man, they'd be down in your basement searching your house so quick. You see how not supplying the information gives them the answer that they're looking for that they're not entitled to. The answer is, yes, you have seen Jews, and they're probably in your basement. So I think that bears some reflection on, like I said at the beginning, the two people who typically rebel against the idea that you can tell an untruth and it not be a lie are those who, first of all, are genuinely interested in morality. They, they really don't want to be liars, and that's a good thing. They just take it to an extreme. They don't understand the nuance of what constitutes a lie and, and how that is distinct from simply providing false information. If you come to me and you point blank put me on the spot and ask me for information that you are not entitled to, that is for me to know and share with who I want only uh, you have no entitlement to it I can tell you anything I want and you know, when you learn to use this appropriately appropriately in your life it safeguards your privacy your your rights your uh, it shows a, a proper level of um, respect and dignity toward yourself not to be sharing uh, information with people that uh, they're not entitled to and that you don't wish for them to have. It's not always as simple as just not saying anything. Sometimes it is that simple. But what I'm trying to point out here is that providing false information and lying are two separate things. I can provide you false information that you're not entitled because you're not entitled to the real information in order to safeguard my privacy, my dignity, and those sorts of things. Sometimes I might be able to get away with that by offering no answer at all, as Jesus Christ did in, on many occasions. He would, they would ask him a question, and he would say, "Well, let me ask you a question, and if you can answer my question, I'll answer your question." They couldn't answer the question, so it was avoidance in a very strategic masterful way you know of course who could who could do these things more masterfully than Jesus Christ the son of god um, and then there's the other type of person those are people who don't like the idea that there's information they don't have a right to and i am suspicious that that makes up the majority of people who rebel against that explanation for or that insight into what separates lying from giving false information. 
I would say more times than not, it is that you don't like the idea that somebody is not beholden to provide you information that you are not entitled to. So it is really up to you. So, you know, speaking about emotional and intellectual honesty, it's up to you to sit down, consider these things that I share with you here today, and your motives. If you if you have the tendency to rebel at the idea that providing false information and lying are not one and the same thing, if you have a tendency to rebel against that, the next question for you for you to ask yourself would be, why? Is it for pure motives or for selfish motives that I rebel against that notion? All right, so that's my show for today. Run long, some distractions. Um, I feel like I'm just getting revved up and into this conversation today. Boy, got a lot to talk about next week. Um, and I can't wait to have those conversations with you. But what I've been doing is I've been having uh, printing off these pages and pages of conversation to have with you. And whatever I don't get to, I just move it to the next week. <laughs> and, and so we'll get, you know, we'll get through it eventually. Ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful weekend. Uh, stay healthy. Stay safe, treat yourselves well, and I'll see you in the following episode. Take care.